The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Did you uh, did you uh, this come across an idea for what we might talk about today? Uh, yeah, I did. Oh, oh we had our I, scenes, I, right? Well, no, 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 don't tell him. Don't me. tell him. Leave, right. leave him in the You're going to surprise me? I thought I told him, but oh, uh, well, no, you know. He just, I do? Yeah. You are listening to The Movies That Made Me, the official podcast of Trailers from Hell. Your host Josh Olson. We're here with, uh, uh, as as ever, uh, the great Joe Dante, and our guest today is uh, a young actress who, I swear, it was so funny. I was going back and kind of just making sure I got everything down because I have a brain yes. like a sponge, and you don't want to forget that somebody was the lead, and you know, uh huh. So and and I can't. I feel like the when I saw you in Cape Fear. I had been seeing you in movies forever. Well, you have, because I might be Marie Windsor. So. Oh, okay, there you go. So you, actually, I, I... That was like your third credit. That was, I was Marie Windsor. You were so men. good in a narrow margin. Thank you. That explains it. I died. Oh, no, wait, actually, well, no, no she... No. Somehow we... I don't know. But, know but uh, uh, our guest is the lovely, effervescent, incredibly talented if Ileana you haven't Douglas. Guessed already. Yes. Ileana Douglas. Um, I mean, you got Cape Fear, you got your To Die For, you got... That's right. Oh, how much I love Grace in my heart. Um, Thank I, you. Thank I, you. And, and how the, that led to one of my favorite albums of all time, which... Yeah, that was um, a great experience. And just, yeah, fantastic film. Um, a TV show I loved that that never quite got the traction it should have. Uh, action. action yes. Timelier now than ever. Yes. I believe the DVDs are still in print. Just go buy them. Um, Ghost World, which I recently did a Trailers from Hell commentary on, which uh, is a movie that um, was great when it came out and is even greater now. Yeah, I think um, so. You're I the art teacher so. everybody wishes they had. Some of us did. Um, she also hosts uh, TCM's Trailblazing Women. Uh, she has a um, great new, or great, it's not a new book. It's a great book called I Blame Dennis Hopper. It's new to me because I just ordered it and I just started it the other Thank day. You. So. Thank you. And uh, she's also directing a film based on her own original script. That's uh, right. That you're working on. Um, and does a great podcast. Uh, with the same title. With, with the, the same, same title, title. I Blame Dennis Hopper, where That's right. um, she interviews all sorts of uh, uh, luminaries and uh, the occasional idiot like me, too, because I guess I'm... No, I can't gonna... wait. It's going to be fun. Um, but uh, it's it's amazing having you here. Thank you. Uh, thank you for doing it. Um, somehow, because this show seems to tap into kind of the audio commentary mentality, you were just talking about charade. And before yes. we even get into it, that I just charade is the most annoying audio commentary in history. Because <laughs> there are... But do you, do you, you watch it, and I'm like, Peter Stone... Who's this amazing writer? Yes. And the movie goes for about 10 minutes, and it's him and Stanley Donnan. Mm -hmm. And then Peter Stone goes, I think it's the first time, I don't even want to ruin anything, but the first time a character who is not what he appears to be shows up, Peter Stone goes, ah, now let me tell you about this guy. And Stanley Donnan goes, shh, shh, don't ruin it for anyone. As though anyone <laughs> is watching, watching the, movie the movie for the first yeah, time with these the two idiots. <laughs> they start arguing. <laughs> they start having this esoteric argument. Oh. About so whether or not people see the commentary before the movie. <laughs> and meanwhile, when you think I'm one of five people who are Yeah, who are actually listening to this thing. Yes. It's such an inside joke. But that's like um I mean other famous uh, arguing commentaries include the limey. The limey is my favorite. I love it. My I love favorite. it. Rajesh, uh, right on it. The yes, limey. Absolutely. It's a, talk about it. You go direct a movie. 
That's, they start with the director. That should be. That's my favorite thing. Like br- bringing the writer and the director so they could start arguing about a picture on the wall. Oh, it's so they, they, Yes, the movie co- the commentary comes to a grinding halt. There's oh, no, I love it though. It's it's because it's it's the you wish. I mean, I think it's it's the conversation we'd all love to have with our directors. Yes. The um, uh, what is it? There's a part. It's one of my favorite. Uh, in fact, I'm giving something away. I did. I did my own list, a while inspired by you, of my ten favorite shots in films. Yes. And one of mine is that shot of the warehouse in the Limey. Oh, okay. Where where he goes inside and it yes. stays on it, and there's a um, a part in the commentary on the Limey where they go at it because Lem Dobbs gets really annoyed because about five different reviews use that shot as proof of Soderbergh's mastery of the medium. And he says, that shot's been in the script since I wrote it 20 years ago. And he reads it. And I still remember, it's like the camera stays outside waiting like an obedient dog. And Soderbergh just shot what was on the page. And and he's getting all the credit. Lem Dobbs is losing his mind. And Soderbergh goes, well, you go direct a movie then. Yeah. It's great. I love it. Just great. Yeah. Those are some of the more feisty... Yes. You know, feisty ones. But I have my other, my favorites too, uh, Soderbergh and Mike Nichols. Oh, God, The yeah. Graduate. And Catch-22. Uh, yeah, that's a great comedy. Catch-22, yeah. There's, I even, I, you know, even uh, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter, they're talking together is pretty, is pretty lively. Joe, I told Joe I love his. I learned so much, you know, because there's so few... It shows anymore, you know, like in the old days with Dick Cavett or where you'd actually learn something. Right, where they and, weren't just plugging. Right, and so is a... And for short amounts of time, you know, back back in the Cavett days, in the Merv Griffin days, they, they'd keep a person on to talk about something for a whole 10-minute segment. Yeah. yeah. Now it's like, get them on, get them on. And then you'd right. engage with the next guest, yeah. too, and yeah. you'd get those great... And these the, commentaries, you know, you you learn that, you know, Frankenheimer really likes uh, Magritte, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to start looking at Magritte now. You know, so it, it's, it, it percolates... Um, other ideas. I learned, like, I, there's just a whole list of things that I've learned just from yeah. listening, uh, you know, to the commentaries. One False Move, Carl Franklin's commentary on that is, That's I maintain, if you movie. had to have one, if you only had 90 minutes to learn how to direct a movie. Yes. And he's got this amazing voice. I think he got a lot of commercial work after doing the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fantastic. It's just soup to nuts. Here's how you make a movie. Here's I was like, Incredible. Yeah. Just well, incredible. I always think, as I said, I think it's a good tool. It's a shame sometimes when in some of these great movies, the filmmaker uh, isn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a shame. I mean, uh, so many people passed before they could actually, and people who you know would have been really fascinating. Yeah, God. Been, you know, people who had, would, had all these stories, and uh, well, I don't know how many of them they'd be allowed to tell. Because as you as you know, many commentaries have these long gaps in them where the lawyers yeah. have come in. Yes. Said, Whoa! I don't think you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> like a commentary for Casablanca would be good. Yeah, sure. Or Gone with Is anybody wind. left? No, no. They're all. I I well, I interviewed <clears throat> Humphrey Bogart's son and the daughter of Paul Unreed. Um, uh, you know, but that's the people who were like five. You know, yeah. when the movie was made. Yeah. yeah. So trying to think, yeah, there's no... Yeah. But, but obviously a lot of things went on. And, but the, the, the other side of it is that you get an academic or, you know, a fan or, or sometimes another director, uh, yeah. current director, will yeah. do well, a commentary on an older movie yep. that, that nobody else is around for. And that, that can be pretty interesting. On a Scorsese's, on, yeah. uh, on Michael Powell's stuff. It's yeah. Phenomenal. Right. It's, um, it's so depressing to me. He never did Peeping Tom because... Uh, that's a, I don't want to say a favorite movie, but one I'm sort of fascinated by. It's not too late. He can still do it. No, him. I want to hear what, what he's got to say. Oh. Um, they've got some academic who's great, but, you know. Yeah. Like, I want to hear a filmmaker. My favorite are really the practical, uh, John Frankenheimer talking about how to do driving shots. Sure. I don't know. Just for yeah, me, yeah. personally, I just want to learn what lens were you using? They, they can be great. Oh, but there's also the, did we talk about this the other day? The, um. The uh, and it's not on the Criterion Blu-ray, so I had to keep my old one on Blood Simple. Uh huh. Have you ever listened to the? I have not. Have so not. it's introduced. Uh, it's an on-camera introduction by the guy from the distribution company that uh, first discovered the film. Uh huh. And then the guy who's the head of the company. Do you know about this, Joe? Yeah. Okay. The, the head of the company 
um, proceeds to describe the process of making the film, of taking it away from the cones who didn't know what the hell they were doing, wow. of fixing it. And then he describes scenes that were cut out, like the long story about uh, Emmett Walsh having to go back to Russia to meet his father, who's a spy. He talks about how they did the opening shot in the car. They had to do it backwards, which meant they had to have the car upside down and hang. The entire thing is scripted by the Cone brothers, and it's pure bullshit. Oh, that's it's right. absolutely amazing. Yes. It's so good. It's a work of art all into itself. It's worth just sitting down and it's incredible. And how far in do you realize, or do you never I mean, realize? You probably kind of know from the get-go. You but do? It's, it's, um, you it's go, Wait beautiful. a minute. I don't remember uh, that happening. Good evening. I'm Mortimer Young. Fifteen years ago, Blood Simple was released around the world, garnering universal critical acclaim, shattering box office records, and ushering in the era of the independent cinema. Unfortunately, filmographic techniques were in their infancy. Now, through the miracle of digital technology and ultra-ultrasound, a Lucas process, they no longer are. Yes, it was a marvelous period. Worthy of preservation and preserved it has been. If you still have laser discs, uh, there were some early commentaries that were done by people who then passed away, like John Sturgis did A Bad Day at Black Rock. Oh, then, yeah, that's then, right. For whatever reason, they didn't. the rights to that particular commentary right. were not included when the picture moved on to video. That's right. I remember. So the only way you can hear that commentary is if you have the laser disc, and it's a great commentary. Interesting. I feel like it's probably on YouTube, I have though. People a bunch YouTube. Of well, that, that, that's possible. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's, let's stop the show and solve my problem. Yeah. What do I do with all of my laser discs uh, that I bought? Well, in the, first in of all, you got you've got. I sold you mine when I can still get a dollar for them. You've got to try playing them because most of them <laughs> have turned to laser rot. Okay. And they won't play, which means you can't sell them. Okay. Uh, but there are places on, on eBay that people will, will right. buy Laserdiscs. I have a whole collection of them back in uh, Connecticut because it was such a big deal when they came out. Sure. Get the Val Luton collection. Looked twice as clear as VHS. They were amazing. Yeah. I'm not so sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they looked better. They definitely yeah. looked better. Um, my own, I think I mentioned on the show before, but I, I, uh, I wrote and directed this tiny little horror film years ago, and it's one of my greatest disappointments that um, uh, we didn't get to do an audio commentary because I wanted to have my mother come do it with me uh, while she watched the film for the first time. Yeah. Because it would just <laughs> horrify her all the way through. It would just be if, her. Go, Why does his head have to come off? <laughs> I that, raised you better. My mom would be like, I didn't know you made movies. She's like so unaware. Of oh, no. Mom is Italian. She's like, uh, but that, that doesn't mean she doesn't love you. That's true. She's a, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I think we're here. Am I wrong? We, I don't know. I always like to have sort of a theme for us to kind of run through. Yes. Um, and uh, um, uh, we had a conversation that led me to this one, but I thought we would talk, work our way up from the bottom to the top and yeah. uh, of Ileana Douglas's top 10 favorite scenes in movies. Yes. Um, um, and I, do you want to talk about the ones you well, yeah, I will. didn't I, do what, first or should we do the... the no, the, the ones that didn't, this was something I had to do with um, Turner, and I became, of course, everybody sent in their list in like a day. And me, I'm emailing it to directors I know, and what do you and having discussions and fights and about it. That's why I thought it would be such a fun topic because I mean I was literally arguing with people about about your favorite scenes. Yeah, about why are you going to put that on, or this is better. But the ones that did not make it were City Lights, the scene where the blind woman realizes that Charlie Chaplin is paid for her operation. That did not make it. But that's Tra crazy. That's, Tra that's, one of the, that's an amazing uh, 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 The um, uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre did not make the top ten. Uh, Walter Houston. Dancing. Dancing. Uh. It did not make it. Um, sadly, Sullivan's Travels, the scene with a little sex, where Joel McGray... It's all one take. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing... It's a great scene. It's a great, great scene. Well, that could go on your top ten shots list, then. Well, because it's all one scene, and it's pretty god darn amazing, and it they did... Those were my... They were heartbreaking, but they did not make... The, the, those were my special. They made the cutting room floor. And those were the only three that well, didn't make it? 
Oh no, Joe! I had like <laughs> yeah, it started with twenty. I had like Dog Day Afternoon and the Attica scene. I had, uh, I had um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. They all like exited. Wait, which which scene? The the um, the you know the scene with the where with the medication. Ah, okay. I wanted to get the medication with Nurse Ratchet. Right. Not not the synchroping scene. No, I didn't. I picked the Nurse Ratchet. Because I think that scene with Nurse Ratchet is one of the most disturbing. Nurse Ratchet is one of the most disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Am I dreaming this? Is someone doing a Nurse Ratchet movie or something? Is that is that possible? I may have lost my mind. Um, another, that may have been a weird... Uh, on my top 20, the scene from Psycho mm-hmm. did not make the list. The um, shower scene? The shower scene. Yeah. It was it was it was uh, really cha- you know like well, there's a, a whole movie about that so you don't even have to that's true go back yeah into that it. <laughs> which, I, which I participated in the scene from Vertigo the transformation scene did not make my list um, the again heartbreaking uh, scene from Casablanca where they all stand and listen to the Marseillaise. Marseillaise, yes, that's a great. Did not was, yeah, that's that's I, I know. I'm it's, telling you, it's it, was, it was brutal. So you can you can you can. When you hear my one, you know, when you hear my list, you start screaming. So, but I, I love that you involved you took others. took off Sullivan's travels for that? Yes. <laughs> I love that you had other people involved with your, your Oh, definitely. Well, because was, you can't remember everything on your own. You've got to have people to sort of goad you and remind you. No, oh, no, I've, I've got, I, I don't, there's there's a show here somewhere. I don't know what the hell it'll be or how long. It'll be incredibly long is um, one of my dearest friends. Um, we have a mutual friend with him, uh, Dan Waters, who uh-huh. Heathers, uh, who sees more movies than anybody alive. And every <laughs> 10 years, he makes a list of his top 300 movies of all time. And a couple of years ago, while he was on it, he kept finding that he was stumbling across things that should be on my list. <laughs> so I actually have a list of my top 300 favorite films oh as God. compiled by someone else, by, by Dan Waters. And it's shockingly accurate. That's funny. <laughs> so so I've, I've, I've taken your thing to the next level. I love it. So so should we <laughs> so start? Let's, yeah, start. start. Are they in order? Or yeah, they're, they, oh, and then okay. the other thing. For How people, do you rank them? For people, for people playing at home... Because this is what's hard. Not only do you have to pick ten, they must be in order. They must be in order. In so, order of yeah, of like your of number one. Oh, oh, of okay. your number, you know, number ten. Sure. To number one being what you consider to be the greatest scene of all time. So I'm going to start with number ten, and I urge you okay. people. You can argue with me. Number ten, East of Eden, the Ferris wheel scene with Abra and Cal. James Dean, where they kiss. Oh, yeah. Oh, I shouldn't talk to you this way, Cal. I shouldn't. But I don't know who else to talk to. And, and sometimes I think I'm really bad. And sometimes I don't know what to think. Well, Aaron will knock that out of you. Will he? He's got to. Well, the way I figure it out, Aaron never having had a mother... Well, he's made her everything good that he can think of, and and that's what he thinks I am, and that's what he's in love with. It's not me at all, because I'm not a bit like that man, Paul. Not a bit. I don't mean I think I'm really bad. Look at that star. It must be a planet. It's so bright. Hello. But that girl's waiting for you down there somewhere. No, that's a good scene. That's a great it's a pretty scene. good scene. The music. I and, I, and, I, and I put in a lot of factors into why, <laughs> you know, this is why I cut out Treasure <laughs> of Sierra Madre. Uh-huh. Because without Walter Well, Houston, that's not in color. Well, <laughs> not a lot that's, of kissing that's in that true. movie either. <laughs> no, hardly any kissing in that movie. <laughs> I tried to put into, what I tried to do was was think... If I had not seen the movie, does this scene stand up on its own? That's why the Sullivan's Travels thing killed me. That was, I mean, that was number eleven, but it didn't, it didn't make it. But now, now, is that a valid criteria? I wonder. I mean, is it? You mean as if you, if you had encountered it by itself, 
outside the movie and had exactly. never seen the movie, does it stand, would you still like the scene? Ex- does it stand on its own? As a good scene, as, as an excerpt. As a, as a good scene. And to me, what East of Eden represents is the best of Ilya Kazan, the best of James Dean, and his sex, his sort of animal sex sure. appeal, this inherent sadness. I love the movie anyway, but the scene has... Um, uh, a nostalgia quality and a, a just a very mourning quality. The idea of the they're stuck on top of the Ferris wheel. I don't know. It just it just it for me encap- encapsulates what I've seen other people try to do again and again and again. So that's why those are all of my. Oh, it's a great scene. I'm just I'm I'm, I'm I'm arguing in my head with the criteria. I don't know. Is it is it because there's that thing that people always say that like the best movies you can watch. You know, without sound, and you can understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And and um, uh, I try never to badmouth current films. This is old enough. I can well, remember ba- being the, on it. The best movies are the ones that you can encounter while you're flipping the channel and go, "Oh, I got to see this." Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I wrote it a hundred times. I remember I being exactly on an airplane. <laughs> it is in the story. Yes. And I and I so enjoy watching it. Yes, yes. I would so enjoy the way this picture is made and and, and, yeah. and admire it. That I just want to sit and and let it play out. But I remember seeing uh, Mrs. Doubtfire on an airplane. I mean, I didn't watch it. It was playing back in the old days when they had the... Yeah. And you could tell what was happening in every single scene in that movie. And I maintain that if you watch The Godfather without sound for the first time, you have no idea what's happening. That's probably true. Uh-huh. Which is my problem with that particular rule of, you know, what makes a good movie. But does a good scene have to stand on its own or can it... So you're saying you... you, you that was my personal... That was your... It's her personal criteria. Oh no, no, I know. I'm not. And it's not gonna. It's not gonna There's have a no beginning and a middle and an end if it's a scene. It's right. just. It's gonna. It's gonna have a mood. It's gonna have a quality to it, uh, and it's gonna affect you in some way emotionally. Because I, the reason I was stuck in the beginning is because you start to go, oh well, Lawrence of Arabia when he divorced match, and, yeah. you know, oh. uh, you know, uh, of course, and then but then you start to go, yeah, but that's not personal. That's just you're seeing broadly right. technique. In 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 fact, that might be what's wrong with some of these top 100 lists. You know, it's it's simply technique. Or you know the the finesse of the director, so I think that if you're going to say this is the greatest scene, you know top ten greatest scenes of all time, you got to back it up with a lot of, you know oomph. And so for me, the emo, you know, there's got to be some elements to it. I just think the emotion, the music, there is a beginning. There actually within that scene, there actually is a classic, and I I did go to acting school so it does have a classic like beginning middle and end you know he kisses her she rejects she says I love you know I love the other guy you know the brother and then he rejected James Dean does this fantastic I don't know rejection after she tells him she loves his brother I may have to go change my top ten list now yeah (laughs) I know I want to hear yours to give us context to give us the next one yes Gonna, we'll be able to we'll be able to figure out your number nine, heartbreak kid, the pecan pie scene where Charles Grodin breaks up with Jeannie Berlin. Um, that uh, what are we sitting on on the hot courtroom steps this afternoon? Uh, I was thinking that in three weeks you're going to be twenty two years old. Twelve. Right. And the really fantastic thing about being 22 years old is that you have your whole life in front of you. I know, we both have. And, I mean, the people you could meet, the places you could go, the things that you could do, it's just... Lenny, I never thought that I'd get to Florida. That's right. I mean, what some women would not give to be 22 years old, it's just a... That's right. I know it. To go when you want to do, to live... To live. Do you know what I mean? To live. Is that what you mean, Lenny? We only pass through once, right? I mean, we can't squander it. No matter what happens, we just passing this way but one time. We can't squander it. Once is a lot. Once is a whole lifetime. That's why we have to use... And learn from anything that happens. We have to 
learn from the good, from the bad, from the happiness, from the tragedy. We have to learn. We have to use it all. To use it all. You're so deep, Lenny. A lot of rejection on this list. <laughs> it just happened to be together. Well, okay, it's okay. not a, a list of So far, rejection. 100% of the list is about rejection. <laughs> I'll be two of them. I, for so many reasons, this scene for me, and then the one, the next one coming up, number eight, I consider the pecan pie scene to be one of the great comedy scenes of all time. Just in terms of what he wants, what she doesn't know, and then the explosion at the end that there's no pecan pie is just the payoff that the whole movie, they've been on this road trip and that they're going to go to this restaurant and get pecan pie. And now he's leaving her. And there's no pie. And there's no pie. <laughs> On top of it, it's just the final, you know, it's just the final humiliation. And uh, I just think both of their performances in that scene, it's a negotiation that is the first time I, and I've seen the movie, and that movie for me, if you, is a kind of a test movie. If you don't like Heartbreak Kid, you <laughs> cannot be my friend. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a simple, like, let's lay the ground rules. <laughs> Let's speak plainly, you, if you don't like that movie. And in fact, it was funny because for years, people used to always say, why do you, why do you show people that movie? It's like, I would always show like guys I was interested in the movie and if they didn't like it. Oh, oh. <laughs> Adios. Now, are you, um, the one, I have to go back because. Yeah. Going back. To I had this whole thing of, no, no, I, oh. I'm, a, I'm a fan of the Heartbreak Kid. Oh. Um it's just there. There's certain movies where I sort of I I know I'm I'm not just in the minority. I'm wrong. Um, New Leaf somehow never grabs me, and I know people who are so passionate about it. It's crazy, and I have to go back and give it another chance. It's only a third of the movie, so it's yeah, it's really not fair. Uh, okay, that was so bad. <laughs> I love. I mean, I I love Elaine May. Yeah. I think she's yeah. obviously a genius, and uh, there are parts, there are scenes in the New Leaf. It's definitely it's a flawed. Movie in in the way that I don't think the Heartbreak Kid is yeah as flawed yeah um, well because it's a story she got to tell the way she wanted to tell it as opposed to New Leaf where somebody else came in and mucked around with it yeah oh, see, I'm, so I'm we don't oblivious to that story oh no that's, I know about Ishtar one of the many one of the many uh, it was like pull the movie was pulled away was pulled from away her uh, completely recut and uh, she uh, had nothing to say about it yeah because this star is better than people give it credit for. But Walter Matthau was very, very funny in it. And it really is that, it, for me, when we were talking about cult movies, it's got the cult movie because there are some great lines and yeah. some great scenes. And it's got Jack Weston in it. Yeah. You know, and you, who who even knows who Jack Weston is anymore? And he's... There's a great scene with, uh, I mean, we're going off topic, but like as the sleazy accountant when she's get, trying to get married and he's behind her trying to talk her out of getting married when she's in the process of walking down the aisle is pretty funny. Is <laughs> a pretty funny scene. God, I miss Jack Weston. Jack oh, Weston God, yeah. and Jack Warden. Yeah. yeah. Man, the movies, what a loss. Think of the cop show they could have done. <laughs> together so yes yeah. yeah what's next uh number eight which is along the same lines uh lost in america the desert inn has heart scene where albert brooks tries to convince gary marshall to give him his money give back. him his money back, back yes <laughs> as the boldest experiment in advertising history you give us our money back i beg your pardon give us our money back Think of the publicity. The Hilton Hotels has these billboards all over Los Angeles where the winners of these slot machine jackpots, their faces are all over L.A., and I know that works. I've seen people at corners look up and say, maybe I'll go to the Hilton. Well, you give us our money back. Uh, I, I, I don't even know now because I'm just coming off the top of my head, but a visual where if we had a billboard and the Desert Inn handed us our nest egg back, this gives the Desert Inn, really, Vegas is not associated with feeling. Well, first of all, those people on those signs, they won. You lost. But that's it. That's, that's, that's the campaign. Watch the campaign. 
You gave my wife and I our money back because you reviewed our situation and you realized that we dropped out of society and we, we, we weren't just gamblers and we made a mistake and you gave our money back. Do you know, you couldn't get a room in this place for 10 years. Then everybody will want their money back. All the gamblers will say, hey, go to the Desert Inn, get our money back. Not gamblers, you know, you keep all the money. It's just that, that, that my wife and I aren't gamblers. That's what I'm saying, that's the distinction. I mean, I don't know how they came up with it. I don't know too much about it. But again, the for me, the comic negotiation of this proposition and the way the scene just goes up and down is uh, is just so funny to me. And again, you don't laugh. It's like scenes like that. You don't laugh when you're yeah. watching it. You only laugh later when you're thinking about <laughs> but it. But it's also one of those scenes that plays because of the way these two guys work together. It's very similar to the scene between Sidney Pollack and Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie. Right. right. Where he tries to explain to him what he's going to do. And, yeah. and it's when you get two personalities that are perfectly cast... Uh, in the right in the right roles. I mean, you, 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 who knows how much of that stuff was even written? Yeah. I mean, how much of it came out of just improvs or or, or whatever? But but there's something tr so true about it because of the way the, who these two guys are. Well, also, yeah. what he's trying to do because as ridiculous as it is, you can't help but a sympathize with him. Yeah. And b. It's going to work out, right? Well, You're it, sort of hopeful. It, as it, goes. it almost yeah, makes sense. It, it almost <laughs> makes sense. It does. And you exactly. see Gary Marshall actually think about it. He almost has <laughs> yes. him. Processing it. Until yes. he says schmucks to all the other schmucks. <laughs> yeah. He goes, what do you mean schmucks? You said, you know. But that's the great thing about movies is you can, you know, because there's always that hope. Even the most dour you know, fatalistic yeah. film that maybe maybe, maybe it'll work out. Okay. Maybe it'll work out okay. It's a movie. Yeah, <laughs> but it's and for me, it represents. I think the best of what Albert Brooks has done in one scene, and that's why I picked it as yeah as as my my number eight. You know, well, it's uncomfortable too. Which is well, nice. I love well, uncomfortable. He's, I he's, love. He's big with uncomfortable. Yeah, no, no. I, I just I love nothing. Modern romance is uncomfortable from real one to real twelve. It's, yeah, it's, even my own discomfort <laughs> is hilarious to me. Usually after the fact, but there's nothing funnier than discomfort. Yes, all so greatest. it represents like all all of my favorite um, moments of his sure. from other movies encapsulated, and in, and again, it's just it's perfectly shot. I love what he's wearing. Like, I took into consideration, again, everything. The fact that he's in his pajamas during the scene is, and that you buy it, I don't, it's just incredible. You buy The Office, you buy Gary Marshall, you know, you just buy, the whole movie rests, I think, on that scene. If that scene hadn't worked, then the whole second half of the movie, you know. Uh, yeah. Doesn't work. So that's my number eight. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Okay, number seven. It is a classic network. Uh, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, it's I, certainly a, a fine pick. I, I would, I would, I say that there's a, there's a scene that trumps it, which is the Ned Beatty scene. I know. Which, which, which is not, you know, in, in, in technical terms, it's really just a long shot and a couple of close-ups. But yeah. the content of that scene, yes. well, it's, it's, where he explains the, the meaning of the, the way the universe works. By the way, that, yeah. Uh, and, and so, it's, still, it's like, it's, it's, it could have been shot yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And it's all, and it's even more true now than it was in 1976. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that movie is, is uh, it's a documentary practice. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. The reason I picked this was for an emotional reason that Network was the first movie I saw as a child where I felt during that scene an emotional pull of, oh, wait a minute, a movie can be more something. It's, you know, not it, something other than just entertaining. 
Yeah. I, I felt like the emotion of, so of it's that. The personal resonance excuse. Exactly. The <laughs> old... it, it, no, I had the same experience as a kid. It, it oh, it's funny. I've never thought about it, but it it does. It reaches down to you, and not in a way. I've seen movies before where I felt emotions. I mean, you had to, you know, I'd laughed, I'd fall yeah. in love even before I knew what that was. But this was somehow a movie about the world I lived in and people's emotional reaction to the world they lived in. Right. Sort of, I think, just at a time when probably we were both starting to realize that you have to be emotionally connected to the world you live in, that it's okay to be angry at the world or something. Yeah, no, there's something really interesting. There was about a connection that. I made, well, you know, and it's interesting that it's the same uh, director. Um, Dog Day Afternoon and Network of like, oh, something's happening. And I think it's the whole, it's the combination of camera work, editing, that it's not just great acting. It's something about the emotion of that, those images and the cutting. Yeah. Because I love editing. I mean, and I love cuts and I know how important a cut can be and and I think as a child that's what affected me is probably the cutting I think the cutting and that's why I didn't pick them I mean it was really tough because that Ned B it's incredible I mean it's really an incredible scene but I went more for the I don't know the cutting there's the the, the every cut is just perfect it's Listen, just it's, it's very hard to pick your favorite scene from that movie because it's filled I know. with great scenes and great characters and great dialogue. Yeah, it is. It's but in that, my that top That seems ten. so immediate too where it's just like he comes in he's wet and there's no hair and makeup and he brushes them off and the way the cameras the cameras on camera are moving and the whole it's just it's almost like he steps outside of the movie and tells the movie to shut the fuck up I'm going to rant now you know. Yeah. It's got this very and I just think the cutting and the cutting to William yeah. Holden and his family and the loss of control and that shot. I don't know how he did it. Oh, of the apartments. That's a pretty, I mean, how do you think he did that shot? I'm sure, I'm sure I've read it somewhere, but I can't remember. Pretty, I mean, that's like, that shot of like, I don't know if it's sound effects or how they did lighting effect. But, I mean, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool yeah. shot. Um, and the, and again, to contain, these are day play, you know, I mean, all the people that did those, I'm mad as hell. Like, it just has a resonance. There's not one bad performance in a in an operatic scene in which one false note, you know, I think yeah, would have would have taken them down, you know. So whatever he said to people... And I feel like we feel it more now than we did when they, when they made the movie. But he really got people, you really believe that this was happening, that all over New York City, that people were, you know. Listen, I could pick 10 scenes just from Sidney Lament movies. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it, I'm telling you, it's really hard. Okay, number six. I think you're going to join me on this. Shane, the final shootout scene with Alan Ladd and Jack Palance with the kid watching from outside the saloon. Thoughts? Pretty great. Um, Sergio Leone was very impressed with it. Oh, <laughs> was that? It? Well, there's a whole scene in uh, For a Few Dollars More that's based on that. But um, I, I have to make a confession. I've never been a fan of Shane. Really? And the reason yeah. is that it always seemed phony to me. Uh, the whole picture... The, the outdoor stuff is great. The indoor stuff is... The art direction is so obvious. It's so <laughs> obvious they're on stages. Uh, it's it's uh, it's just not. It doesn't seem like a real movie. I mean, of course, it's a real movie. I mean, it was made yeah. by you know great filmmakers, but uh, it just never worked for me except for Jack Palance and the scene where he shoots Elisha Cook, oh. uh, uh. which is a great scene. And and all the bad guys are good. Yeah. But uh, I just didn't. I didn't warm to the story. I didn't particularly like the Gene Arthur Van Heflin characters. I, I just it just didn't. It's not my favorite, so I'm 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 not qualified to comment. Well, I, I confess I, I haven't seen it in a thousand <laughs> you years, just did. and I just got. I think there's a new British Blu-ray of it that I just got. And, uh -huh. um, um, I think my response was a little more like Joe's the last time I saw it. But again, it's one of those things where I go, I'm I'm sure I'm wrong. Um, I am I am looking forward to going back, and I love the book, didn't I? I think I quoted the book. A couple of weeks ago, or something. For some reason, there was a a line that stayed with me in the book that always seemed sort of a yeah a key to understanding the world. And it's it's Shane says to somebody after 
you know, he's beat a guy in a gunfight but hasn't killed him, I guess, and he tells somebody else, says, tell him no man need be shamed of having been beaten by Shane. <laughs> I thought, what a great way to go through life, you know, just sort of understanding They that. didn't use that in the movie. I don't, yeah, it's not. <laughs> I just love, I don't know, I just something about the stillness, even though if it's on a set, I mean, I do like the, I actually like the color of it. It almost looks like Kodachrome, mm-hmm. you know, the way it's very bluish mm-hmm. and... Um, and his outfit, he's got that crazy suede outfit on, and he's so blonde. And then the kid, the toe-headed kid outside and looking at his hero and going to get the bad guy. I don't know. I just, for me, I, lo- I love it. I think it's a, you know, I love And Jack Palance is like yeah. so, he's so villainous. He's one of the great. So that's my, guys. that's uh, number six. Number five. This is a toss-up because you can pick either one. Uh, Ben-Hur 1922, the chariot race scene, is and 1959 is a is the they literally shot for shot did the 1922 version. But I recently saw the silent version because I had to see it for for TCM. And I, I was in shock. I mean, there must have been a hundred people that died during that. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them were horses. <laughs> it's insane, and it's Roman Navarro, and I don't know this other guy, this barrel-headed guy, but it's crazy what is going on, and I don't know how the heck they did it. There's a there's a there was a wonderful series uh, from Thames Television about silent movies. Uh, that was a whole series of like 10 or what episodes and one episode was just about special effects and just about how they made it look like there was a huge arena uh, with forced perspective and hanging miniatures and fake people and and in in it, the movie is, is spectacular I mean the 1922 version is just as spectacular as the 1959 version yeah I, I, I've never seen it you have That's to see a, it. Oh, it's good. Is it three and a half hours long too? Or? Uh, no, it's shorter. Okay, but I, uh, I, I think they they reran it at the Egyptian or something. I, I saw it within the last couple of years. It's really one of the better silent movies. Not the 1922 yeah. one. The chariot race is literally half an hour long. Yeah. I mean, it's the 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 59 version is about 15 minutes long, which is still pretty long. But it's but the. The 1922 one is like, please, let's not kill one more horse. I mean, it's great. It's like you you kind of can't take it anymore. Yeah. I was screaming when I was watching it. It was, and I was, you know, just thinking like, oh my god, I couldn't imagine people um, watching it in 1922. Yeah, yeah, as a, as a, as a spectacle. And uh, just technically, that was something where I went purely technically because I I don't know I've never seen a better action sequence in in my life I still think it is it's the classic uh, I don't know it's classic the 1959 the 1959 one's amazing yeah I need to see the silent one and who is oh my god I know I've on his name the Heston stunt guy Yakima Kanat Yes. Yes. Yakima Kanat I still remember, remember years ago walking down Hollywood Boulevard with some friends from out of town and Somebody was complaining that, you know, it's like, I know who that is, but all these names of people I've never heard of, who the hell is this guy? He points down, and it was Yakima Kanat. And I was well, like, I oh, don't... that's Charlton Heston stuntman. Yes, <laughs> <clears throat> you got points that day. That's right. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that idea. of, And again, I've seen it played in movies. We've seen it again and again and again in car chases. Mm-hmm. But it began with Ben-Hur, that whole idea of the spiked thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Somehow ramming someone, and yeah. you know, it's like it, it ends all, up in James Bond's car. Yeah, it all comes later. from, uh, you know, it all it all originates from. Is that in the silent one too? Yes. Yeah. Oh wow! Origin, yeah. That's really fantastic. It's shot for shot, like the horses. Yeah. It's it's oh completely, God. yeah, it's completely the same. And Ben Hur, the original movie, I think it had a cast of something like hundred thousand people. <laughs> it was like everyone in Hollywood was. In the uh, in the movie, um, okay. Number we're getting up there. That was number five. Number four, uh, the bandwagon, the girl hunt ballet scene with Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse. Now I don't know, know if you know. This is where he does Mickey Spillane. Oh, the city was asleep. The joints were closed. 
rats and the hoods and the killers were in their holes. I hate killers. My name is Rod Riley. I'm a detective. Somewhere in a furnished room, some guy was practicing on a horn. It was a lonesome sound. It crawled on my spine. You know, great scene. In a movie full of great scenes, I might have. And again, the bandwagon. The bandwagon is on my top ten films. I think it's better than Singing in the Rain because I think the story is. No, better. it is. It is better. In my it's opinion. really. I mean, are you? Because I'm not a huge musical guy. I love Singing in the Rain. Um, my Fair Lady. No, I've, I've actually never seen the bandwagon. It's a lot of fun, but but the bandwagon is truly clever, and it's it's witty. It's got incredible songs, uh, and the cast is is impeccable. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's there's so many layers to it. It's really worth seeing. Yeah, the story, and it's and the interesting thing is that both Singing in the Rain and The Bad and Wagon are written both by Comden Green. Mm-hmm. So for for two people to just do that. Well, they even have it, characters in, in the bandwagon who are who are who are them. Green. Yeah, <laughs> like they would always write kind of themselves in Somewhere the movie, but um, but I and I love it's my favorite Fred Astaire, um, and that's we it, it, and the bandwagon. If we're going to favorite shots of all time, yes. that's my favorite shot of all time. In this scene, if I could have, if someone out there has the six sheet of the bandwagon and they want to give it to me, that's how I. Mm. That would be my. I'd want. Oh, like now a, we know what to get her for Christmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just think that image with her leg, and she's so beautiful, and you know, Fred Astaire's so incredible. I have to. I, this is all. We're not on camera, but um, I, I was. I had my phone out while Eliana was saying this. I just need to assure our guest I was not engaging in a more interesting conversation. I was ordering the Blu-ray of the Bandwagon. So. Oh, cool! <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, oh I mean, you have, just, you, you have and you tell treat. me it's better than Singing in the Rain. You have a treat in store. It's uh, it's so uh, funny. It's so witty, and again, it's got a lot of showbiz tropes. As does Singing in the Rain. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, well, I mean, it's very close. I mean, Singing in the Rain is really, really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, and it's I got that it. great plot about the about the coming of sound, yeah. which is wonderful. Yeah, uh, this is more Broadway oriented. Yeah. But it has the trope of the egotistical director and everything. Jack Buchanan, who is his greatest. And, and what's the Nicky yeah. Spillane tie-in? Or something? Well, that there's that? a girl haunt ball, a ballet. Uh, that's one of the one of the many things that are impossible to stage that are staged as part of the show, which is kind a of ballet a, goes based back on to the Buzz Berkeley, where you know yeah. the, the curtains open and then you see scenes that couldn't possibly be done. Oh, yeah. that. Yeah. oh down. <laughs> they would always have to go the game. There would have to be... Uh... I mean, there are scene changes. It's supposed to be a touring show, <laughs> and there's like 500 scene changes and costume changes. Yeah. Like, it stuff. would be impossible. I love to that do. stuff. Uh, so the bandwagon. Number three, and this was like... I put this above it, and I know it's like two musicals, but I, I do not really consider this to be a musical sequence. Singing in the Rain, the make em laugh scene performed by Donald O'Connor. Come on now, snap out of it. You can't let a little thing like this get you down. Why, you're Donald Lockwood, aren't you? And Donald Lockwood's an actor, isn't he? Well, what's the first thing an actor learns? The show must go on. Come rain, come shine, come snow, come sleet. The show must go on. So, Reedy, Pagliacci, Reedy. Reedy, huh? Yeah. Don, the world is so full of a number of things. I'm sure we should all be as happy as. But are we? No. Definitely no. Positively no. Decidedly no. Uh-uh. Short people have long faces. And long people have short faces. Big people have little humor, and little people have no humor at all. <laughs> and in the words of that immortal bard, Samuel J. Snodgrass, as he was about to be led to the guillotine, make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said, be an actor, my son, but be a comical one, they'll be sad. Which I, I have it at number three. In, in which he defies gravity. Right, no, I know the scene. So wait, <laughs> why, why is it not a musical scene? Because he's it's a dancing. I well, mean, it's... But he's singing. It, I, not in the I consider it to be more of a, a comedy scene. I mean, yes, he is singing, but it's what he does with his body in that scene. Oh, like you were talking about 
I could watch that scene uh, like a thousand times. You, I defy anyone with that's on. You stop everything and you watch the scene because he's incredible. I mean, yeah. it's what he does with that dummy. That's my favorite sequence. Is like he and manages to flip himself over the couch um, and not look at all winded. You know, and he probably did that 8,000 times. Um, It just represents... Broke things. Okay, number two. We're really getting up there. A Place in the Sun, the Tell Mama All scene. I've got two George Stevens movies on my top ten. With Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Cliff, where they're dancing, and then it ends with her saying, Tell Mama, Tell Mama All. And, you know, that, that very wonderful... You know, romantic scene. Yeah, I, I, I just think again, it starts. The music is beautiful, and it, it just ends with them. You know, I, I, two more beautiful people. <laughs> Never, in my opinion, it takes your breath away, and it, it just shows to me the, the, like, literally the best of what a movie can do, which is transport you. Well, it is. I mean, it's funny going through your list. You really are, and and it has a beginning and a middle and an end. It does. Like, like I, all of them. Yeah, I, I went for beginning, middle, middle and an end. Um, for so what? You ain't got no new movies on it. It's all ho- old pictures. I know my newest movie is Lost. In <laughs> Have America. you seen Speed Racer? Because there's some odd <laughs> favorite. New got movie my screeners yet. at home. Um, uh, no, that's great. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm dying so, to hear what's, what's number, and number one. What are we? Number one. I, I'm going. I, I remember. I'm going on a limb here. This I, is a new film. It's going to be a new consider, film. I, I consider this to be the greatest scene of all time. It's the final scene in Limelight. Uh-huh. Charlie Chaplin. I want to see her dance, and that to me, I could start crying even thinking about <laughs> it because it represents everything I yeah. am. Life goes on. Art continues. It's he's dying. She dances by the frame, and just even thinking about it, it makes me cry, because I, to me, that is like, it's just everything. That to me is what life is. He managed to yeah. encapsulate his whole career in that one scene, and it's so tender and artistic and beautifully shot, and it's pitiful too. You know, when they're all carrying his little bed to the edge of the stage so we can watch her dance. And the, just the way he has it, it's not milked at all. It's like they're carrying him and all you see is her dancing and she's unaware that he's dying. And she just dances by the frame and you see her tutu. And I, I really consider that to be the greatest scene of all time. Fascinating. That's such a great film. I, um, as a kid, I think Chaplin was my introduction to the silent films and I loved them so much um, and I feel like you know it was also when I first started reading about film started mm-hmm. reading books about people writing about films because I was so obsessed with Chaplin and I feel like that movie's getting has in the last couple of decades gotten more respect than it did yeah because it, it didn't get any <laughs> right I mean it, he was he was on the he was on the wrong end, end of his political problems at the time right. yeah and uh, most places didn't even play it Oh really? Yeah. So it didn't even. It wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't a popular. He wasn't popular. He wasn't. I know, and the reviews were not particularly no. loving. But you, you sort of go into it now, and it's 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 a lovely film. Yeah, um, it's really it's really powerful. And and you could watch the scene again without seeing the movie, and I think you would understand you would understand the concept yeah. Yeah. that he was going for. Yeah, I think um, life goes on, you know. And it's just, I don't know. I, I, it's everything again that cinema can can do. And it's interesting because I didn't have, like I said at the beginning, the movies that didn't make it. You know, Psycho, Shadow of a Doubt, because I really thought, you know, like they, I almost, you know, I had the Joseph Cotton scene from Shadow of a Doubt, but it's more really like a monologue. Is it a scene or is it a monologue? Mm-hmm. Grapes of Wrath. I actually had that. Which, which scene? The, uh, you know, where he, where he, I'll be there. You oh. know, the Henry Ford. Remember the cop beating the guy? Yeah. But it's a, you know, is it a scene or is it a monologue? 
I don't, you know, I don't know. In terms of shots, like when we were switching over to, to, to me, the shot of Jane Darwell when she puts up the earrings yeah. in the mirror is the shot of the movie yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that sort of says it all. I have to go rethink my list now. I know some of them. I, no, I think that's a valid. Yeah, you know, I, they, it's a great list. I mean, I wanna, yeah, no, I no, no, hers is, I mean, my list. It's, it's a great, um, you know, it's one of the things they all say to you, uh, uh, in in screenwriting is that every scene has to sort of be its own kind of story uh-huh. and and it's certainly that applies to a lot of great scenes but um but yeah I, I to hear you describe these scenes and to talk about them and to think about them I realize yeah that is that is something to be able to walk in to just drop someone into a scene mm-hmm. and and give you that whole rich experience that that isn't necessarily dependent on the context of having seen the whole film. Right. That's that's interesting. That's how I felt, because there are certain scenes that I like, I love, but, yeah. you know, I I think on my top 20, I had the Lady Eve, the seduction scene, with, but, like, again, it just, it, it, you know, it uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and their performance is wonderful, but to me, the Sullivan's Travel scene is just so much more, it's so much more heightened and, uh, it's just incredible what they, you know, sort of, even though that was number 13, 13. <laughs> even though it, it now, got you, special mention. Do you like any color films? I need, I'm There's, kidding. I'm kidding. I know, I'm kidding. Is there I anything? had Sing the Rain Bandwagon. Yeah, Shane was color I know, network. I'm joking. But is there anything? Is network. It's network is the network most. Is the most recent movie. The most, no, Lost in America. Yeah. Lost in America. 1983, right? Uh, Current movies that I like. Uh, or, you know, um, in the last. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. We don't do that on the show. We, we love all movies. All movies are great. But especially the classics. Yes. <laughs> it's just easier to talk about the, you know, the... The, the ones you grew up on. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to say the great, you know, the, they're, that they're the greatest of all time. I mean... It's like, what's the greatest scene in a Star Wars movie? I don't care. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, although I find lately... Uh, uh, you know, talk about scenes like like Ned Beatty and Network as a scene that if you had to sort of explain the world to someone, you only have four minutes to explain <laughs> the world to someone. Here's that. But I, I think um, the other scene, because uh, I've been referencing it a lot lately, is um, uh, if you really want to understand the world we live in now, uh, Joe... Uh, Joe, uh, Joey Pant, Joe, Joey Pantoliano. Joe Pantoliano. Yeah. Pantoliano. Uh, his scene in the Matrix with the steak, when when he's going to sell them all out, and how he is choosing to live in a state of delusion, even though he knows it's delusion rather than the world he lives in. I think is one of those kind of. It's it's you know. I wonder who he um, voted for. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, kind of, this be- is the world we're living in now. You know what's interesting? <clears throat> the be- the best way to play this game is rather than remember it, is to watch it on YouTube, because you're you find yourself going, eh, you know, like in my mind, I remembered the Attica scene as being like. Oh, definitely. It's in my top ten. But when you watch it... Yeah, but we, again, you're watching but, it out of context, and that's why your your admonition that these scenes have to work by themselves without having... Yes. You know, a, but lot also, of, a lot of those scenes take their power from the cumulative effect of what's taken place before. And then there's also saw. that, that yes. thing, I mean, you know about, you know, people who swear that they saw the knife go in in Psycho, or that they, they saw, saw the blood red. Baby. They saw the baby in Rosemary. My grandmother's, <laughs> my amazing grandmother, uh, the one who, I've, I think I've mentioned before, whose favorite movie was Brute Force. Um, I remember watching Dirty Harry with her on TV, and she explained to me that, um, you know, yeah, it's still pretty good, but they, they cut out the best scene. I go, what scene is that? She goes, oh, there's a scene where uh, Harry chases a naked guy down an alley and shoots him. I go, what? She's like, yeah. And she described, and it's, you know, there's that scene in the, is it the mayor's office where Harry's like, he shot the guy with intent to rape. And they go, how do you know who was intent to rape? And he goes, when I see a guy with a knife in one hand and a, a naked guy with a knife in one hand and a hard on in the other, whatever. And in my grandmother's mind, she had seen that scene because it had yeah. sort of formed. It was so effective. You know, next time we do this, yeah. we should say we have Clint Eastwood here and just let you do him. <laughs> he's right. He's actually outside. 
One of the hardest things I ever had to do was actually audition for Clint Eastwood. Oh, for what film? Uh, for The Unforgiven. Oh. Yeah. But I had, I think I had, I had done a part that was a little too similar in Cape Fear. I think it's because the, the woman gets... Uh, oh, were you were you for uh, auditioning for the, for the... You know, it was originally called The Cut Whore Killings. So yes. You would have been... Uh, yeah. A little de- looked at tape of Cape Fear and that was it. Oh, and you're oh, lost no. job. Oh. It's better not to audition. It's better just to, you because it only goes downhill when you. I used to lose a lot of parts because people would think I was too nice. Like they'd see me in movies and they'd think I was like a bitch or real funny. She's not like Marie Windsor at all. Yeah, and then they'd meet me. They're like, oh, "You're so nice and quirky," that I wouldn't get the part. But don't they understand that that's. No. Acting. Ron Howard, no. Oh. You don't. You're so nice, and, and then you don't get the part. That's, that's terrible. I was so bummed. That was the, what was the movie he did, Ransom, to play the kidnapper. Oh. And and, and, uh, and I met him, and he goes, you're just so nice. You just don't seem like you would kidnap anyone. But, but. <laughs> I only want to hire people who I was like, actually I, kidnap That's somebody. it. I should. <laughs> I could have. Maybe I should have kidnapped him right then and there. I do. I do feel for actors sometimes. We were just. We just saw. Oh, what are you um, supposed to do? Be a real jerk. Tim, Timothy Carey did that to uh, Otto Preminger. He tied him up at the uh, audition to prove that he could be a, a bad guy. And sure enough, and, he, and he it worked. The, no, he didn't get the. Point. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> he was locked shocking, out of the office. Shocking that that didn't work. <laughs> no, I just watched on uh, Joe's recommendation the man who uh, invented Christmas. It's fun. It's fantastic. It's it's one of the best movies I've ever seen about writing. I mean, it just really. Uh, Dan, Dan Stevens, Stevens yeah. from Downton Abbey. Did you watch okay. Downton Abbey? I did not. He played the first time I'd ever seen him. He plays just the most gormless, wimpy British yeah. aristocrat, and he's you know. And, but the thing is, with something like that, you never know: is is he well cast or is he a great actor? Yeah. And when he oh, left he really the show, <laughs> yeah, he's just this upper class twit, is what he is. And when he left the show, I remember thinking, all right, good, kind of done with him. I hated that character; he was so disgusting. Yeah. And then he shows up again in um, he yes, the guest. I keep getting it right, and then I doubt mm-hmm. it. So he shows up again in the guest, where he plays essentially. Uh, I mean, he's a human. He's not a robot, but he plays the Terminator. It's an incredible action film. He's all buffed up. He's fucking terrifying. He's absolutely amazing in the part. He owns the screen. He's got this intensity. And you realize, oh, they cast him in Downton Abbey because he's a great actor. Yeah. But there's always that thing with the first part where it's like, is this person really good or are they just... Is Sullivan yeah. really a vampire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's always hard. I think for women, too, it's especially hard. Yeah. There's a certain, I don't know typecasting obviously that goes on okay. yeah but I could see I mean yeah like, uh, Cape Fear Unforgiven I mean there's a certain, or, or, how many movies do you want to get sort of beaten and chopped yeah, up you don't want to become a professional victim <laughs> <laughs> cut me up hit me well somebody says it was like harmless every, every time Hillary Swank gets beaten to death she wins an Oscar was that the, well she's really not Damon but they're yeah. actually the same person <laughs> you ever see them together? Uh, no, I haven't. That's fine. But I've never Thank seen you, you and me together. So, <laughs> um, anyway, well, I, it seems like a good time to wrap up. Uh, Ileana, thank you so much. Thank you for coming out and doing this. Oh um, my god, it was, and it's fun. I, I send the le- send me the letters. They argue if you if you oh the complaints. Yes, yeah, the yes. Complaints yeah. If you have any complaints, what I left the, uh, off. Or yes. send us your own lists. Or yeah, send us your that's own right. lists. Eliana will come back and read them on the air. <laughs> and make fun of them. And make fun no. of them. No, I won't. Uh, no, I think it's a, it's really challenging to just do 10. That's And to do it in order, that's that's the hardest part. Well, I was feeling really smug because we had a little email back and forth. And I, I after she brought this up a few days ago, and I went off and I did my own list. And she was impressed with how quick it was. And now I realize I've, I've, I've done nothing. I no, need to, I, I, I travel, need to go back I travel and start to work. India. I, I consulted <laughs> yeah. gurus. I've, I've, I drank... Uh, <laughs> I almost said I dragged peyote, which shows my lack of. Well, I would say you you approach knowledge. it as though you might someday be held liable for it, oh, which I totally. think is a yeah. Uh, hello, 
that's shouldn't all movie people be that's how I I have to you know it's it's but your tastes change I mean you the things that yeah. you liked you know 10 years ago may not be the things that speak to you now and then you may as I sometimes when I go back to see movies as I obviously I'm going to have to do with Shane uh, and you find what, what was the wrong I used to I used to have yeah. a Jones against Richard Coyne for some reason you too? Richard Coyne really all of Richard Coyne movies I used to say I, he's just terrible why do I why did they give him jobs now I'm a big Richard Quine fan. You know, I don't know what it was. I don't know what yeah. I saw that that it's struck so me so badly that I I just sort of turned off on the guy and I yeah. didn't even want to see his movies. And he's made you know he made Bell Book and Candle for Christ's sake, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, he so, also did the one with uh, that I like with Kirk Douglas and um, Kim Novak. Oh, Strangers When We Meet. Strangers When oh, We Meet. Great yes. movie. Isn't that a movie? Great it's movie. sort of like a kind of a Nick Ray ish. Yeah. You know, we did that for Trailer Smell, I think. You did? I, did I? No, maybe Larry did it. I did. I did. No, yeah. somebody. It's on there. It's on, it's on there. Somebody did it. And the whole backstory. I back did some in Kirk Douglas romance. I don't remember which. <laughs> well, I I and I, I like it because Richard Quine was going with Kim Novak, right. and they in the the process of the movie and the uh, Kirk Douglas is an architect and they're building this house. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sure. That, yeah, and at the yeah. and and in real life, Richard Quine was building the house for he and Kim Novak. And they broke up. Uh, who got the house? I think he did. Didn't yeah, he move in it? He got it. He was. He moved into it alone, oh, which is oh, oh. That's sad. She left. Not him. just alone, but without Kim Novak. Without yeah, <laughs> that's oh, alone. That is so sad. <laughs> Fade like, to black. Yeah. Anyway, I, uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you for thank you for coming. Thank you. Always that a pleasure. Fun. Yeah. Thanks. Always a pleasure. I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. Our show is recorded in Hollywood, California, at the crossroads of the world. We are the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is Don Barrett, who also wrote, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for The Movies That Made Me. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.